Hi, Kim. This is Doug. Um, I just, I hope I'm not too late to say something about Ren and Noah. Uh, I, actually, I'm really reminded of that quote from Oscar Wilde when he arrived in America. He's going through customs and he says, I have nothing to declare but my brilliance. And that's how I feel about these two. I have nothing really to declare except these two are just brilliant. They are standing so strong and tall and they're both so funny. And um, in spite of everything that might discourage them, they are both in the process of really reclaiming a deep sense of wholeness and uh, true self. You know, I feel like we're a part of a tradition that's about reclaiming self uh, in the LGBT community, and that um, so much of that is about our ability to see each other, to love each other across generations, and to lift each other up. And these two are uh, are just such fine examples of that, and I feel um, such a sense of kinship with them, such a, uh, a feeling that they're really, um, I, I would say brothers, but, you know, more like um, uh, little brothers, younger brothers, way younger. the story. Welcome back to the Townies podcast, where we present original stories and a glimpse into the creative lives of the real people who wrote them. I'm your host, Kim Maxwell, and the stories you're about to hear were developed in my writing and performance workshop in Ventura County, California. Our first guest today is from my teen class and kind of a genius, Ren D'Angelo. Hello. Hi, my angel. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are That's you? Cool. I'm good. Thanks for coming into the studio. Oh my God, thank you for having me. I really you look very, it. very cool with the earphones on thank behind you. the microphone. Thank you. Yeah, I try really hard. <laughs> very stylish. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I see people online that I think are really beautiful, and I love to message them because I think about dating, and then I remind myself, they're too pretty for you. They're out of your league. And it's sad that leagues exist, but it's true. It leaves me wondering, whose league am I in? So you've been in class for kind of a long time, huh, Ren? I know, it's so exciting. And I'm going to be in class again this spring. I'm so excited. Me too. Do you remember how this particular piece started? Oh, gosh. How did it start? Um, I think it started with a piece uh, about loving myself and having having a hard time accepting myself and loving other people and judging people, which I mentioned in the piece. And I believe that's where it started is I just kind of had a rant (laughs) about how I felt um, guilty and how I felt, you know, kind of not ashamed, but not good about myself. And then it kind of turned into this self-love piece and taking care of yourself and just um, having good habits and loving yourself. Yeah. (laughs) And this particular story or any of the other fabulous stories that you've told in class helped you gain confidence or clarity and in what way? Absolutely. I think your class is like therapy, honestly. (laughs) I just go in there and I have something to say. And usually I don't know that I have something to say. It just, I just start writing and it just flows and it's beautiful. And I get so much clarity from taking your class and writing and just being my authentic self. And I go through more of a happy patch in my life when I'm taking your class. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, you mentioned before um, that you used the rant as a, yes. and that's one of the prompts that we like to use. Yeah. What is it about the rant that accesses the stuff? Oh, I don't know. I think you just get to mouth fart, just like <laughs> fart out all the things that you 
<laughs> that you need to say that's stuck in your head. And sometimes you don't even formulate full sentences or you miss words or sentences. Sometimes you can't even understand them. And you just get to just get out all the stuff that you need to get out. And you just have it. And then you read it. And you're like, wow, this is how I feel. Like, I didn't realize that I could say this. And I did. And it's so it's something so magical about the rant and just having just all that stuff come out of you. It's like, yeah, it's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> So what other tools, um, other than the rant, what other tools do you find helpful in class when you approach the wall or writer's block or, oh, my God, the show is in a week? Hmm, I don't know. I think talking to the other amazing people in the teen class and talking to you and um, sometimes, you know, you give us a prompt, you know, stuck, we ask you for a prompt and you give it to us and it's like spot on. It's like the perfect prompt and it just tells us exactly what we needed to hear and we can just write about it. So you help us a lot and the other teens help me a lot and it's just, uh, yeah. And sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I have a prompt and I write it down. I have a little place in my in my binder. You have a little prompt place in your yeah, binder? I have a prompt place in my binder. <laughs> We're so like, happy at this moment. <laughs> I have like oh, two pages full of prompts, and there's some of them are like terrible. They're just like like this will never amount to anything. But it's like just me thinking, oh, this is a possibility, and it just helps get the creative juices flowing. So yeah, <laughs> and they come like in the middle of the night. Yeah, I was like in the shower, or like I'm like in the middle of school, and I like have to like put it in my phone. I'm like, oh man, I'm like like taking notes in class. I'm like, I gotta write this down. That's important. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of important, when when did you feel like your personal story was important that it mattered? Um, I think I started feeling that way when I started identifying as non-binary mm -hmm. and I was just like there's a lot of people who feel this way and I don't hear from a lot of them. I know that there are people out there, but I don't really hear their stories and I desperately wanted when I came out to have someone else who related to me and who felt what I was going through because I felt so alone. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so magical to be able to um, share my story with other people because I know that I needed someone's help and I'm sure that someone needs my help out there. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I think it's very important that everyone shares their story because everyone is really interesting and people are more interesting than they think. And it's so nice to share your story and share your experiences and people really benefit from it, I think. Yeah. I do too. Thank you. <laughs> so is there anybody now that you've been in the art community for a little while? Is there anybody that inspires you that way that you said when you were first reaching out and looking to connect with somebody? Yeah, there's a couple um, like transgender YouTubers. I look to YouTube a lot mm -hmm. and uh, Aiden Dowling and Chase Ross and... Uh, uh, there's some others. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but those kind of people really helped me. Oh, Miles McKenna. So like one of my huge inspirations, I looked to him when I had my, before I had my top surgery, I was like, this is what I want my results to look like. And he's just so charismatic and he's so amazing. And he was just like, I wanted to be Miles McKenna. Like he's amazing. And I, I like send him an email. Uh, he never responded to me, but uh, you know, like, like just like reaching out and wanting to connect and having someone that I, aspire to be is just really helpful. Yeah. That's an excellent answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stage directions. Ren gets up early, which is very hard for Ren, and drives to Los Angeles for the first time by themselves. Ren is wearing their favorite outfit, the green and white pants from India, a really nice soft white t-shirt, Silver septum ring with turquoise and fake diamonds, turquoise dangly earrings, fake diamond studs in the seconds, a silver squiggly ring on their pointer finger, and the ultra squeaky white all-star high-top converse. <laughs> Ren arrives at the modern bathroom showroom and warehouse at 7040 Lakersham Boulevard in North Hollywood, California at 10 a.m. But Ren was there by 9. <laughs> <laughs> Ren gets out of their freshly washed Jetta, shuts the door, and locks it. Ren puts her key in their drawstring bag and walks in through the front doors of the showroom warehouse. Ren stands kind of awkwardly, looking around and occasionally running their hand over a sink or something. <laughs> Ren's pronouns are they, them, theirs. Oh, um, hi, uh, ma'am, um, Deborah? Uh, 
Uh, well, um, actually, I'm not. I'm not a ma'am. So uh, I'm not a sir either. But sir will work. Sir, yeah, sir will work. Uh, yeah, you know, actually, you can't help me. I need a bathtub. <laughs> yes, I know exactly what I want, but I also don't, you know? <laughs> uh, okay, so my bathtub, well, my mom's bathtub, but she doesn't use it. Only I use it, and I use it frequently. I love taking baths, by the way. I love floating in the hot water with the dim mood lighting and just enjoying me time. I don't think about anything. I don't read or do anything. I just relax, you know? My bathtub is this gorgeous old-fashioned bathtub. It's deep enough that my whole body, except for my legs and part of my boobs, fit in it. <laughs> it has those pretty legs that kind of look like paws, and it's painted with beautiful grapes and grapevines. It's truly magical. Oh, and then there's these luscious bath bombs that make me melt into the water and make the water look like something out of a fairy tale, you know? But see, my problem is, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> It barely fills up, so I have to run the water, like, the whole time I'm taking it back, which is only for, like, ten minutes once a month, chill. And the, <laughs> and the hot water barely lasts. I maybe get two minutes of warmth before the water turns a kind of lukewarm cold, you know? Also, the shower head is always running, and it's only either burning hot or freezing cold. It doesn't listen to the temperature knobs. <laughs> And even when I turn the lever to the bath so that it should only come out the spigot, well, showerhead still runs. <laughs> I just want to take a hot bath. It's the only good bath in the house, and it's not even good. I can't catch a break, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, right, um, what I want. Okay, yeah, so I want essentially the same thing, but I want one that works. <laughs> and I want one that fits my whole body, including my boobs and legs. And also, where the drain control thingy is high up so that I don't have to run the water through the whole bath, and so the water doesn't drain and leave my body half out of the water. Well, you see, I'm, um, well, I'm actually, I'm getting top surgery in almost a week, which I guess you don't really know what that is. Um, top surgery is an FTM, female to male, transgender surgery, where they cut off the boobs and they graft on the nipples so that transgender, so that transmasculine individuals can have masculine chests. This is something I've wanted for like, I don't know, since I started puberty. <laughs> this is like really important to me. Oh, uh, right. Uh, the whole reason I'm telling you this is because I'm finally getting the surgery. I need to be able to be comfortable with my naked body and treat myself to a motherfucking bath because God damn it, I love baths. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, this is good. I like this one. Uh, I mean, it's really white. Like so white but i mean no like i can paint it to look more off-white and put grapes and vines and shit on it so that it looks like the old one yeah and i mean it does have the claw legs so i mean that's a plus i um also like the elevated back end of the tub so that my head can rest comfortably but i think i'd like to keep my options open do you like uh have any more Oh my god, wow, that's really cute actually. I'm I'm kind of in love with the wire cattail base. But uh, you know, I don't really think it fits the cherub-esque feel of the bathroom, you know? But it is cute though. Ooh, this one is nice too. Very simple, still uh very white. But that's fine, we can work with that. <laughs> it's also awfully similar to my current one, and I mean like I know I said I wanted the same one, but I also want something different too. So I guess it's just like not what I'm looking for. Okay, so I know this sounds kind of hypocritical, but I guess with this bathtub, I'm asking myself not to judge me. But I have to confess, I judge other people. <laughs> I'm struggling because all around me, there are people. I like to think that everyone is beautiful in some way, and almost always I do. But I'm only human, and sometimes I find myself judging people. It's not fair at all, but it happens. I see people online that I think are really beautiful and I love to message them because I think about dating and then I remind myself, they're too pretty for you. They're out of your league. And it's sad that leagues exist, but it's true. It leaves me wondering, whose league am I in? Who judges me and thinks I'm not enough? Who swipes left based on appearances because I'm not in their league? I've worked really hard to finally love myself. I'm not arrogant, but I love the way I look. <laughs> With a few exceptions. Uh, but if I was someone else, would I date me based on looks? Would I be hot enough for me as someone else to date me? I don't really know. If I can't expect that from myself, 
How can I expect that from other people? But really, I just want to be loved. I just want someone to hold my hand and kiss me and make food with me and who will stare at me like I stare at them with utter admiration and starstruckedness. Someone who will lay in bed with me and cuddle and talk all night with me or who would just lay in silence. Someone who will say good things about me. Someone who really loves me. Someone who swipes right, who I love back, <laughs> even if it doesn't last forever. So please, Deborah, help me. <laughs> <laughs> Help me to find a bathtub that makes me love me, that makes other people love me. A bathtub that loves me. Stage directions. Rennie Marie is six weeks post-op top surgery. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> thank you, oh, thank you. They flip on the light above the new bathtub that sets a dim, warm mood lighting over the clean room. Ren strips off their favorite perfect-fitting blue jeans, briefs, loose red and black flannel, and post-op binder. They turn on the faucet, and the hot water rushes into the bathtub. Steam fills the bathroom, and Ren gets in. Sitting down, they grab a lush bath bomb and lays back, soaking in the moment and in the water. The new bathtub is deep and pearly white, and the water is hot, and Ren enjoys it and enjoys not having breasts. Hmm. For the first time, Ren feels completely content. Everything is perfectly aligned and wonderful. Ren is not quite complete, but this was a huge win, one they will be able to enjoy for the rest of their life. It was all made possible by family, friends, love, support, and the bathtub. Ren's pronouns are they, them, theirs. The Bathtub was written and performed by Ren D'Angelo in December 2018. Well, that was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, since you wrote this piece and performed it at the studio, you have updated both your middle name and your pronouns. Would you care to speak to that? Yeah. Um, I, I think, I can't remember if it was right before my surgery or right after my surgery, something about having this top surgery and just going through these changes made me realize that I feel a lot more masculine. And I've always been in touch with my masculine side, even since like first grade, I wanted to be a boy so bad. And um, which is where my middle name comes in. I've chosen James, which is when I was um, like in the first grade, I wanted to be a boy so bad. And I'd, I'd run around the house with my shirt off and I would, you know, I spent all day in the basement just imagining if I was a boy. And the name that I chose was James. And I went by this name, James, and I don't know why. I just love the name. And it's also my um, grandpa on my dad's side, who unfortunately passed away when I was little. It's his name. His name was James. And um, I just really connect with um, the masculine side and James. And so now I'm Rennie James D'Angelo. And I am not sure if I'm non-binary or a man or somewhere in between, mm -hmm. but, um, so I'm doing a lot of self discovery and, but right now I'm going by he, him and they, them pronouns. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you actually open your piece with your pronouns yeah. and close your piece with mm -hmm. your pro pronouns. Yeah. Why was that important to you? I think at the time that I wrote that, I was so frustrated because people were calling me she and people were calling me he and either one of those felt so horrible for some reason. I mean, she because I'm not a woman, obviously, and man because I don't know I don't I didn't really identify with that at the time. It just didn't feel right yet. Mm -hmm. And uh I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? <laughs> I forgot. I lost my train. That's okay. I think we're actually. I, it was just about the um, the pronouns that oh, you, yeah. you open and close your piece with. So you yeah. place them prominently within your piece. Yeah. And just what that means to you. Why why people acknowledging your pronouns are such an important thing to you. Yeah. It's just. I think it felt so horrible to hear those words that I needed people to know that I was not a man and I was not a woman. I was non-binary. And it was so important to me because I was so sick of hearing the wrong pronouns and being misgendered. And I had been so relaxed about it. I mean, it's really hard for people to 
understand and to comprehend and to get used to using they, them pronouns that people just forget or they just say, oh, it's easier to do this, so we're just going to do this. And I was like, no, this is so important to me. This is something that I'm fighting for. This is something that makes me happy and it hurts so bad to hear the wrong pronouns. And so um, by the time I wrote this piece, I was just fed up with hearing the wrong thing and it just felt so good to hear those they them pronouns and I just needed everyone to know that this is who I am and that I am real and I am valid and I am not going anywhere but then I ended up changing (laughs) which is kind of perfect yeah um you speak so articulately and openly about your experience as a gender non-binary trans masculine person where or when did the courage hit you to be out and living your truth? Um, I first came out at the end of eighth grade, and I just remember thinking I was so confused and so lost. And I just remember I called my friend crying and was like, I can't live as a girl anymore. And she was like, what do you mean? And I didn't know anything about trans people um, back then. But I just I heard a few things, and I was like, I am meant to be a boy, um, I think. And... Uh, I told my mom, and she took me to a transgender meeting in Santa Barbara. Um, It's just like a support group, and it was really Mm -hmm. nice. And it just kind of opened my eyes and helped me more. And I ended up, during freshman year, Mm -hmm. I... I kind of was out to people, but not really. I still went by my dead name, and I I didn't really... I was really shy. I mean, I was Mm -hmm. so reserved. I've come out of my shell so much. And it was just so hard for me to come out and to tell people who I was. I, ba- I had barely had any friends and I barely talked to anyone and I was so cringy. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I eventually I couldn't take it anymore and I needed to be heard and I knew it was important. And I started coming out of my shell and I started going by Ren. And people didn't really understand at first, and people thought I was a lesbian, and you know they didn't they didn't understand. And then I started coming out of my shell even more and making more friends, and I started gaining more and more courage. And I just mm-hmm. needed to be known, and I needed to tell people, and I needed to make friends, and I needed to be myself. Mm-hmm. And it just got easier and easier, and I just got more courage and more brave, and I just felt more comfortable, uh, especially with all my support and new friends and my wonderful school and everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the image, the primary image of the bathtub. Yes. Baths seem to hold a lot of meaning for you (laughs) in terms of Mm self-care. What else did you use in terms of self-care before you were able to physically transition? Um, I used – binders were really helpful. Binders Mm -hmm. are lifesavers. And if there's any other transgender individuals out there, GC2B is the binder that I use. I've never used a different binder. It's so comfortable. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I – but even before I came out, I used makeup and dresses as Mm -hmm. a fallback. And they – I didn't really know anything else. I just kind of felt lost. And I thought, this is what I'm going to wear because this is what I'm supposed to wear. Mm. And it didn't feel right. And then so, and eventually I found the thing that did feel right. And that was binding. And that was wearing masculine clothes and cutting my hair short. And all those things, all those masculine things really helped me become more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it just – it helped so much. And I – Remember, I my hair was a big thing that was self care to me. I would just mm-hmm. I would do my hair. My hair was a big part of my body, my personality, and I didn't really care about clothes. I wasn't fashionable at all, at all. <laughs> but my hair and was something I was, you know, made me feel like myself. But fashion yeah. has sort of come more into that for you because yes. you actually open and close your piece with stage yes. directions, <laughs> including very specifically oh, yeah. what you're wearing. Very coordinated too, I might. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I love clothes now and mm-hmm. I think now it, that's the one of the biggest things that makes me feel comfortable and like myself is what I wear and um I kind of have it's all over the place, but I love all my clothes and I think they all make me feel really nice. What has been the very best part of transitioning? The very best part yes. is looking back at old photos and seeing how uncomfortable I used to be and how comfortable I am now. Oh. It just like it's this amazing feeling. It's like I I draw a lot, and it's 
it's like this improvement when you draw and you don't think you're any good at it in the moment. And then you look at your art from five years ago and you say, wow, I've improved so much. So much has changed. And I'm, I've, I love my style. I love my art now. It's like, I love myself now. And I, it's been really difficult transitioning and it's been really hard. And I've struggled a lot with depression and anxiety. And now I just, feel so good. I've had my top surgery and I I know it's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and I love my results and it just it feels mm. so right and just the best part is seeing, you know, I did these um like recordings of my voice mm-hmm. when I started testosterone mm-hmm. and I mean it's crazy how much deeper my voice gotten and I feel so much more comfortable with it. And it's just and also I wasn't sure that starting testosterone was the right decision when Mm -hmm. I actually started testosterone. But now I think if I had waited any longer, it wouldn't, I would have been so much more uncomfortable. So I'm so glad that I started it when I did. And it's testosterone has been great. And top surgery has been great. Mm -hmm. And I've just been so blessed and so fortunate. And I feel so loved and supported. And I just, it's so amazing. Well, I always like to end our interviews with a piece of advice for our listeners, for maybe other youth that Mm -hmm. are considering transitioning or they're unsure or they're uncomfortable or what would you have to say? I would just say that you only live once and you only, you really, you, you are your biggest support and you can't be so hard on yourself and you have to just love yourself because I know a lot of people who are trans wish they were cisgendered and that they, you know, that they were born and the right body, but the reality is you're trans and you're beautiful and you're valid and you just have to go out there and you just have to be so authentic. And if there are negative people in your life, I'm so sorry, that's really terrible, but you have to cut them out and do what's best for you and surround yourself with your best support system, whether that's friends or family or uh, pets, anyone, just your (laughs) best support system because those are the ones that really matter. And if someone doesn't support you, they're not your friend, you know, they're, they're they're not worth your time. You just have to really love yourself and surround yourself with people who love you. And, and now for the most important question, Ren. Yes. What is your favorite bath bomb? (gasps) Oh my gosh. Um, oh wow. Uh, I love them all. (laughs) I love all the bath bombs, except for the gel ones. Those are, those like make you slimy and weird. (laughs) But I like the fizzy and bubbly ones and Mm -hmm. the ones that change the water and Mm. make everything all sparkly. And then you come out of the bath and you're like a mermaid or something with all your shimmers. Those are great. (laughs) You know what? Sparkles and shimmers absolutely see like, seem like the through line to your authentic self. Yes. Honestly. It super does. (laughs) All right, you fabulous mermaid. I love you so much. I love you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks for coming into the studio, my angel. Mwah. Mwah. Hey there, townies. This is Emmy Reynolds. Um, I wrote Best Day Ever when I was 18, probably in some backyard in Ojai. I recorded it with Piper Denny and Holly Neely, and I wanted it to sound happy, but lyrically there's like a dark twist because... I wrote it about pursuing music and how in pursuing something you love, it's kind of scary, but definitely exciting and definitely the best feeling. So to me, it was like the best day ever when I chose to pursue something I love. And I hope you do. And I hope you have the best day ever and hope to see you around. Okay, bye. Don't cry, it's the best day you'll ever have in your
was Emmy Reynolds with her song Best Day Ever from the album Ode to the Stubborn. This is the part of the program where we invite you, our listeners, to take part in a free write. All the stories in my class start with a free write in one way or another. So I am going to give you a prompt, and if you'd like to participate, hit pause, set a timer for five minutes, and go. If you want to go a little longer, knock yourself out. Resist the urge to edit yourself. Keep your pen moving until the time is up. We're going to take a cue from Rennie James for today's prompt. And we're going to write a rant. I want you to take a nice deep breath into whatever it is that is stuck in your craw and have it and feel it and own it and then dump it on the page. Not every free write amounts to something. But before you judge it, Make sure you type it up or save it, because you just never know. He was a science major, which I found very attractive. He was smarter than me in areas where I knew very little, like cars and trees and stuff. But I was smarter than him in areas where he knew very little, like Desperate Housewives trivia and who Renee Zellweger has been married to. (laughs) Oh my god. Wow, everything's so new and shiny. Oh my god, I've never been here before. It's like El Dorado. Oh. Oh, see. <laughs> wow, wow, very nice. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> You're a pop sensation. Oh man, it, things are just rolling downhill now. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's I had okay. five shots of espresso I think... I'm like, zap. And... I don't know. <laughs> And this is the perfect way to say, closing up today's episode, is one of my favorite people ever in the whole world, my nephew, writer and performer Noah Lashley. I am so glad that you are here today, Noah. I'm very excited to be here. Is that because of the espresso, or is that like... Well, that's making me extra excited to be here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, uh, one of the things, because we've known each other for so long, and you've been around the community of Theater 150 and Kim Maxwell Studio and the Townies Inc., the Townies Podcast. When in that myriad of being around an artistic community did writing strike you as something that you wanted to do? Um, it was probably high school, honestly. Um, for most of my childhood and part of high school, I because both my brother and my father are actors, and so I always just thought I wanted to do acting. And then it wasn't until, actually, we Lily and I were writing Clouds together in high school, the, the spring production, that I was like, oh, shit, this is, like, way more satisfying than acting. <laughs> yeah, it was, on, it was during that that I was like, wow, this is a lot more satisfying. I get a lot more catharsis. I like the work better than acting. Um, I feel like I can connect a little bit easier doing that um also yeah it was just and it was like and i noticed that like i enjoyed acting more when i was performing my own things mm-hmm. um more so than acting other things i felt always um kind of like i was lying if i was doing <laughs> acting by other people i just never felt particularly comfy in it and mm-hmm. 
And writing can sometimes be very uncomfortable, but it's like a good kind of uncomfy. Mm. (laughs) Well, you have had a lot of experience writing in an ensemble and then writing by yourself. Yeah. Care to speak to that? Um, Yeah. I mean, it's like totally different processes. I do think uh, um, even if I write by myself, I always have to be around other people to bounce things off of and uh, make sure that things are working. So I always feel like even if you're by yourself, you need to have like a community around to do it with. But um, writing with other people is a blast. I I enjoy it. Um, It's really fun to blend styles together and blend like, especially if you're writing comedy, like what one person might think is funny uh, with like what I might think is funny and how those things can like complement each other. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Who or what inspires you? Oof, man. Uh, I don't know. A lot of things inspire me. Uh, It sort of depends on the... Yeah, I don't know. A lot of things inspire me. I get really inspired by, like, other, like, writing, obviously. And I think, like, TV and film are pretty inspiring. Mm -hmm. I get really inspired just in, like everyday interactions um just sometimes like a like something that someone will say will like spark an entire an entire thing you know um and and then from there like things morph uh pretty pretty quickly i like (laughs) the thing that has been like jolting around in my head for the last like day is one of uh one of my friends yesterday was we were just like having a conversation and um she just out of nowhere was like um do you guys kiss your parents on the lips? <laughs> just like out of no, like out of nowhere, and I just think that that's so funny. And um, I've been just like racking my brain as where I could put that in somewhere because I just think it's so funny. I don't really know what that has to do with anything, but um, but I don't know. Inspiration comes in a lot of different ways, I think. And um, yeah, I get really inspired by nature lately. I really like being out in nature and. Um, seeing it, especially now, because it's all, like, green and there's so much rain and there's rivers and stuff. So I've been getting really inspired by that and um, just been getting really inspired by, like, other people and um, what they're doing and how they do it. And What what writers inspire you? Um, I get really inspired by David Sedaris. Every time <gasps> I read a David Sedaris book, I'm like, oh, damn. I, I'm like, I should keep a journal. And then I start writing in a journal for two days and then I forget about it. Um <laughs> And so I really like David Sedaris a lot. Um, I really like, there's another essayist who I really like named Eula Biss, who I think is like pretty remarkable. She's a really uh, talented and uh, vivid essayist. And um, I've been watching a lot of Comedy Central shows, which have been pretty inspiring. It just make me want to like. Well, let's transition over to that. What shows inspire you? Um, well, Broad City, I really like Broad City a lot. I, um, have been watching this, this show, The Other Two, um, and it's been, it's been really funny, and it's been, it's really funny, but also, like, really jarring. The character, the, like, uh, one of the main characters is, is gay, and, um, he's just, uh, yeah, it's just a good character. I like watching, I like watching gay things, so. Well, uh, what about, like, um, movies, um, shows, directors, anything popping for you? Um... Um, I mean, one of my biggest inspirations of all time is Pushing Daisies. I really like that show a lot. I've got a tattoo of it. No, I don't. Shh, Mom, don't listen. I don't have a tattoo. <laughs> he doesn't. I don't have a tattoo. That was a lie. Um, I or I was co- coerced into it. I don't. I don't have it. It's not mine. Um, but Pushing Daisies. I really like Pushing Daisies. <laughs> Uh, which is an old show that got canceled a long time ago, but um, but I think Brian Fuller is a really good um, a really good writer, and he um, I think the TV shows that he's able to craft because he's more of like a television writer than anything else, and I think he um, is really able to do it. And um, I get really like I get I the things that bring me the most like catharsis from uh, watching things are just like experiments of joy um and expressions of joy and i think that's why i like pushing daisies a lot and um uh why i think like like i got really inspired by call call me by your name last year mm-hmm. and i've been really wanting to rewatch it lately just because i've been like man i just want to i just want to see something that's like that joyous again mm-hmm. uh and and then go live in tuscany immediately i know i know <laughs> 
I had this like such romantic notion. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just like go and live in Europe again. And then I was like, no, I shouldn't do that. It's like it'll just be so lonely. Because <laughs> Army Hammer wouldn't be there. Army Hammer wouldn't be there. I couldn't. I couldn't wear those shorts. <laughs> he would be like, no, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. They're too short. At least for my, for me. They're too short for me. <laughs> Well, one other question I want to cover before we listen to your incredible story is we talk about the the wall mm-hmm. in class a lot, that big moment where you go splat right before you're about yeah. to break through into something. And it's also called writer's block. How do you deal with it or embrace it or work with it or leap over it? Yeah. Um I honestly don't quite know. I every time I hit it, I always feel like it's the end of the world, <laughs> um, and I feel like I'm gonna die every time it happens. Uh, not to be like hyperbolic or whatever, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I usually try to if I try to hit, like if I hit the wall while I'm like still writing the piece, not like mm-hmm. editing the piece. I. Uh, I do. I think you taught me this, where you just take like one of the highlighted lines, like one of the lines that you know works um, and that you know pops out for people, and then just start the piece over, but have that be the first line, um, and then write from there, um, and see if that changes the perspective at all. Um, so I try to do that. I um, sometimes I just give myself like a breather. Sometimes I just like put it away for a little bit, um, and not allow my thought, my my myself to think. About. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I allow myself to um, uh, think about it um, and and just ruminate on it without actually having to look at it because sometimes it's all I feel like I always like um, overcome the block like as I'm dreading it and then I'm like Ugh, okay I'm gonna let it go and then I like get into bed and then it's like as I'm about to fall asleep I'm like ah! and then I like have thought of the idea um, to overcome it and then I like write it down and then I go to bed. <laughs> And then just, like, allow it to fester in my head overnight. Okay. My friend Spencer called me up one day, very excited, beaming, really, just filled with enthusiasm to tell me that he has started casually seeing a man. The reason Spencer is so excited and calling to tell me that he started casually seeing a man because Spencer is straight. So he had a drunken night with a friend where they were both at a bar, they both went to the bathroom, and they both mutually decided to grab each other's junk and make sweet, tender, dirty love in the bathroom of some uppity bar. (laughs) And now they have both mutually decided to start kind of seeing each other. Movies, very casual. And as Spencer so lovingly put it, he's just about that D. Spencer has been interested in men for a solid 20 minutes and is already on the verge of a burgeoning romance, the wedding of which I will surely be invited to because I've been interested in men for forever and I've got nothing. (laughs) Honestly, I, I am happy for Spencer. I am. I feel like he is opening himself up to a world of possibilities and has found a nice man whose D he can enjoy. But I also feel like, bitch, get in line. (laughs) I'm single, have been single, have always been single, and worry constantly about the fact that I will probably be single for forever. Because although I know English and German and a very little bit of Spanish, the language of love is something I don't understand, and Rosetta Stone is being fickle and not calling me back. (laughs) And then there's Spencer, who just traipses in with his straight, untailored Wrangler jeans that don't really fit. (laughs) And he gets a man without even trying. And what really adds fuel to this stupid dumb fire is that I have been very casually and completely in love with Spencer since my freshman year of high school. (laughs) No. And to make it worse, um, he isn't the only straight person that I've been very casually and completely in love with. I think if I looked back at all of the people I've been very casually and completely in love with, the majority of them would be straight, the minority being gay, because we're always the minority. (laughs) 
But my interest in straight men isn't really my fault. It's Brokeback Mountain's fault. That movie, yeah. Um, that movie is arguably one of the biggest queer-themed movies of all time, and the queer characters are played by dashingly handsome, sexually awakening straight men. That movie is about two men who both decide to go camping and ride horses together. They both sleep in the same tent, and they both mutually decide to grab each other's junk and make sweet, tender, unlubricated love in their tent in the American West. <laughs> Spencer is essentially living the modern, urban, millennial, Brokeback Mountain life. And now that you mention it, he kind of looks like Jake Gyllenhaal if you really squint and you sort of mention it offhandedly. And don't get me wrong, okay? I loved watching Jake Gyllenhaal make out with a man. In all honesty, I'm waiting for him to do it again. But he keeps on having sex with Anne Hathaway instead of me, which, I mean, like, I get it, but <laughs> my life is falling apart. Gay men are really taught to desire the straight man. I think most people are taught to desire the straight man, the straight white man. All of the movies and the TVs tell us that they're desirable, handsome and <laughs> worthy of yearning, understanding and helpful, a real necessity to true deep happiness. But that's a crock of shit. <laughs> because I have yearned and let me tell you, I am one bitter Betty. <laughs> I, and even pornography isn't safe from the subtle messaging that, strand, uh, that straight men are more favorable than gay men. A huge population of porn actors in the gay porn industry are what we call gay-for-pay porn stars, which means that these men are straight-identifying but do, like, butt stuff uh, with guys for money. <laughs> and gay-for-pay porn stars are some of the most popular porn stars. They are everywhere. It's impossible to avoid, and it's their apparent straightness that's desirable. It isn't like everyone loves Cody Cummings, an honest-to-God porn star, because of his dazzling personality and because he can juggle work and his philanthropy. No, okay? <laughs> we like him because he's straight and he'll get naked with dudes. There's literally a whole category of gay porn called straight to gay, all of the plots of which involve a gay man convincing a straight man that what he need, or what he wants is that real good D that he's been missing out on. And hey, I am a sucker for a cute straight man. There was, uh, <laughs> uh, there was Duke, um, who once at a party made very excessive eye contact with me for a prolonged period of time. <laughs> and I was like, pretty sure that that meant something. Something like love or by curiosity. <laughs> he was also standing really close to me. So close, in fact, that I could feel the faint warmth of his breath on my lips as he would talk to me and tell me about the world. There was George, um, who I was really pretty smitten for. He helped me look after this dog one night, and uh, we got drunk, and we were petting this dog, and we ended up holding hands for a little bit, and it felt like a real moment, you know, like a, like a moment of love or by curiosity. <laughs> and then, as if out of the cinema, my dumb lesbian roommate comes stomping in with her heavy-ass Doc Martens like a lesbian fee-fi-fo-fum. <laughs> I smell the blood of Noah's dreams never coming true. <laughs> and then George uh, let go of my hand and then never touched me again. Aww. Well, that's not true, but that's what it felt like. <laughs> and then there was Brandon. Who, uh, he was a really good friend of mine, and he like wore these like stupid, sexy beige suits all the time uh, with his hair slicked back. He looked like um, he would swindle you out of money in the 1940s. And he had a huge butt, like a bubble butt. Um, and whenever he would have relationship problems, he would talk to me and tell me that he wished that he was gay so that he could date me, which felt like something, uh, something like love or by curiosity. But then like Jake Gyllenhaal, he would go out and make out with another girl. And then I'd be left there thinking, you know, if you just tried harder, you could probably definitely date me. And honestly, I don't think it's too wild of an assumption to think that straight men might be interested in me romantically and sexually. I often get mistaken for a woman on the phone. Uh, and I like to think that I have the smooth, sultry voice of a 23-year-old Scarlett Johansson. Uh, okay. Um, 
My friends seem to think that my perpetual singledom is due to the fact that I have lived in uh, places with such small populations of gay men. Uh, uh, for example, in high school, I had a, a huge crush on my friend Shane because he was very affectionate and kind towards me. Uh, we even made out one time, much to his dismay, because he was really the first person that I had ever made out with besides Tessa Thomas in the fourth grade. Uh, he told me I used too much tongue, which came in handy when I was experimenting with women in college and made out with my lesbian giant of a roommate before she became the world's worst cock octopus. <laughs> there was, there was this one guy who I was crazy, crazy about, Sam. Uh, he was my friend's little brother, a uh, freshman when I was a senior in college. Uh, he was very handsome and outdoorsy, but um, in a way that made me feel like I was outdoors without actually having to be outdoors. <laughs> like the kind of outdoorsy where he would call mountain ranges she, as in, ah, ain't she a beaut. <laughs> he was a science major, which I found very attractive. He was smarter than me in areas where I knew very little, like cars and trees and stuff. And, but I was smarter than him in areas where he knew very little, like Desperate Housewives trivia and who Renee Zellweger has been married to. <laughs> And he could, like, pick me up really fairly easily, which is quite a feat, considering my meek and dainty six-foot, three-inch, 265-pound stature. Uh, and he also thought I was funny, and I was definitely funnier than him. And he was also, like, cryptic and vague and emotionally unavailable, but, like, in a really sexy way. <laughs> like, in a way that screamed, I can fix him! <laughs> and he was gay. Uh, however... I did think that he was straight when I first met him. And in, an, and in an effort to please and entertain the straight man, I decided to share poop stories with him. <laughs> and, not or, and not jokes, but anecdotes. <laughs> One of which involves me pooping my pants in my house because I think it's the best place to poop your pants because you're in your house, but also the worst place to poop your pants because you're in your house. <laughs> Of course, I find out two hours after I share the story about my uncontrollable bowel movements that he's gay, and I don't need to, uh, him to know that I can't control my bowel movements. Because as a gay man, it's not the sexiest of qualities. It's not like some exciting adventure or surprise that men want to be a part of, you know? It's not like, hey, let's have sex in my butt because who knows what will happen. <laughs> Sam, I think, <laughs> I think that Sam is um, one of the only gay men that I've really, really ever pined for. I had had little crushes on other gay men before, but I was devastatingly into Sam. And it hit me out of nowhere, just like a big gay train just hitting me full force and then reversing full force and then just going back and forth over my body over and over again for months. It just seemed so tangible in a way that it never had before, this thing that I had been yearning for. I had so many crushes on straight men that I got used to the idea of unrequited love of non-reciprocal sexual attraction, of wanting something that I realistically couldn't have. Not really. And it just felt like the first time that I really had something within reach that I could really pursue. I mean, it wasn't perfect by any means. <laughs> Straight men are not responsible for all of the problems in my love life. I still definitely have a lot of problems. I didn't know how to talk to Sam without seeming like a neurotic, sweaty mess, which I know is probably very hard to believe. <laughs> um, one time I cried into the huge lap of my cock octopus lesbian roommate because I found out just that someone else who was cuter and had a better butt than me liked him too. Not even that Sam liked someone else. I would do this thing in the shower where I would reschedule my winter break plans in my head around Sam because I just assumed that he would want me to meet his parents after he got to know me. Uh, he was just so handsome and so non-committal, and I'm pretty sure that he had chronic fatigue syndrome because he takes a lot of naps. And I just, I feel like we complimented one another, you know? Like, in a weird way, I felt like we were a match. But nothing ever happened. He started dating a guy, but then he broke up with him because they weren't having sex. He also essentially abandoned, abandoned a two-month-old puppy that I didn't want but grew to love at my house for a week and then got mad at me when I tried to, to get him to take care of it. Ugh. In the end, he turned out to 
be kind of a douchebag and a bullet thankfully dodged. But I'm not totally surprised that the first gay man that I'd ever really had a crush on I mistakenly thought was straight at first. I'm feeling these symptoms of the Brokeback Mountain porn problem. And it's almost a weird self-hatred, a hatred that I'm reinforcing all the time in tiny, subtle ways, like by feeling embarrassed or ashamed about the way that I talk or how I talk with my hands or the way that I dress, and even by having crushes on straight men. I love gay people, I love gay men, but I haven't yet completely fallen in love with gay men. Not really. Ugh, and I want to so bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I hate myself for it. Because in reality, I don't want unlubricated tent love with a straight man. <laughs> I mean, it's hot in a painful kind of way, but... <laughs> but I just, I don't want to pine after straight men anymore. There was something so satisfying about having a true, full-blown crush on someone who I knew was gay, who I knew I wouldn't have to compromise my gender for, who was emotionally stunted but in a gay way, <laughs> who wasn't right for me, because, but because of our personalities and not our bodies. I mean, having a crush on him so fucking sucked. <laughs> Ugh, it was horrible. Um, but it just felt fuller. It fit. It just fit. This is all a learning curve, and I'm just trying to get better at it. Mm. Straight to Gay was written and performed by Noah Lashley in January 2018. Um, this is such an incredibly vulnerable and funny piece. Is this something that you had on your mind before you started writing it? Or is it something that you discovered during the process? Um, I think I came into the class wanting to write it. I'm like a very, I'm a very self-analytical person. And I, um, I'm always questioning things <laughs> about myself and about everything. Um, and this was, this piece was one of those, uh, ruminations on things. I just had been feeling for so long, I was like, why am I having crushes on all of these straight people? Like, what's the point? Like, where is this coming from? And who's making me do this? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so I just wanted to uh, explore it a little bit just to illuminate some questions for my own self and, um, and sort of challenge myself to not be the way that I am all the time. Mm. So I know that um, in a few days, there is a big, huge leap mm -hmm. to the city of Los Angeles to pursue this um, self-expression and yeah. writing and performing. What do, you, what do you long for? What do you hope for within the realm of that? Oh, man. Um, I just hope that I can write. Honestly, I kind of just want to be able to write and uh, help other people with their writing and um, tell good stories and have good stories be told. And um, and whatever avenue I find myself doing that in is fine. Um, I think film and television would be ideal, but <laughs> um, yeah, I think I just want to. I just want to make things that I'm proud of, and I want to help other things that make me feel proud and. Um, I know that that's not always possible all the time, but it's, um, I feel like that's my, uh, my big dream, I guess. And is there anything that you are working on right now? Anything that I'm working on right now? Well, mm -hmm. I am, uh, I'm in a, in a playwriting workshop down in LA, uh, which I'm struggling with because it's like a 10 minute play workshop and I, uh, I keep on stalling, but <laughs> with it, um, it makes me nervous. It's a group it's a new group of people so i'm just like a very timid person initially so i have i've yet to break through um and be myself totally but uh i'm doing that and working on some just some other essays and stuff like that and trying to do comedy and i don't know i'm one of those people that has a really hard time just picking one thing i'm always like oh what about this what about this what about this <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah i'm working on a lot of things um Hopefully that will come to fruition, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. yeah. One of my friends who I really admire as a writer 
um, always says the 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 pinnacle for him is when he's watching something or reading something, and he goes, oh, "I wish I wrote that." Yeah. Um, how, do you have any? I wish I wrote that. For sure. I mean, on the other two, um, Carrie on the other on the other two is um, totally a character that um, I've been like longing to write for so long, and that because uh, he's like such a conflicted character, and he's. Uh, it's funny because he's like an out gay character, but he's also like still totally struggling with his sexuality and his identity, which I think, um, but in like a, in, in a way that like he's out and he's proud and he knows he's gay and he like enjoys being gay, but he's like still struggling because he's like in love with his straight roommate and, uh, and all, but his straight roommate is like, like hooking up with him and like kind of leading him on. And so it's just like, um, it's uh, really jarring to see. I think it's like a really nuanced character. And I think, that's sort of, that's totally, I have like such envy. I'm like, oh man, I wish I wrote that. Um, and I think they've done it in a way better way than I, I would have ever done it. But it's, uh, it's, it's really exciting to watch. And it's characters like that. And um, uh, there was a, there's a character on the, like a Heather's reboot that's a, a gender nonconforming Heather. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, I think that they're a really cool character too. And, um, and it's just like it's it's one of those nice things where you, I'm I feel like you're finally starting to see care like how amazing queer characters can be if they're not just like relegated to like <laughs> coming out stories or dying stories. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I always like to end the interviews with a piece of advice mm-hmm. um, that you might have for um, our listeners, or for young writers, or for young gay men, or for anybody who doesn't feel like they are currently represented on the page or on the screen um yeah i guess um i don't know the advice that um has always helped me is i still i I said it the other day but this advice that you always give is that you're only as good as you dare to be bad um and uh and i think that applies in all of it like and everything it's like you're just you just got to be whatever you're whatever you're going to be and so just do it and um and yeah that's a bad answer but (laughs) that's not a bad answer that's i think the perfect way to end episode two of season two of the townies podcast okay thank you for coming in Noel ashley of course thank you for having me i love you so much i love you i come visit you every single day oh my gosh do it um i will I'll cook something. I don't know what I'll cook. Biscuits? Do you like biscuits? No, you, know you can't eat flour. Yeah, it's, it's not that I don't like it. It just doesn't like me. Well, it also has butter in it. It doesn't like me either. <laughs> well, Maybe they... I'll make them and we just won't eat them. That'll <laughs> be good. They'll just be there in front we'll of us. We'll just be there yeah. longing and pining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a deal. I my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love you so much, honey. Mwah. I love you. This brings us to the end of the episode, so please join us every other Tuesday for original stories and a glimpse into the creative lives of the real people who wrote them. I'm Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio and the Townies, Inc., and we are in the business of connecting people one story at a time. The Townies podcast is produced by Lily Brown, Ken Eros, and me, with studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by the fabulous Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young and mastered by Mark Holman at the Congress House in Austin, Texas. Thank you to today's storytellers and music contributors, to every single donor, listener, and supporter, to our board of directors. And thanks to ensemble member Doug Green for calling in at the top of the podcast. And to the people who inspire us and keep us moving forward, thank you so much, Molly Allison, Woody Brown, Cleo Charpentier, Patrick Lashley, Asa Larmanth, Olivia Lures, Amaury Sagron, April Theriault, Marissa Utz, and so many more. This podcast is made possible in part by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai. And you can find more out about us and today's storytellers at thetowniespodcast.org. 
Thank you for listening. Um, my brother the other day was like, uh, I was like giving him shit about something, and he was like, "If you don't stop, I'm going to tell mom you have a tattoo." And I was like, "Okay, I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> you just folded like a deck of yeah, cards, oh, huh? For sure, for sure. I was like, she. Well, it wasn't until because she has always threatened to cut me out of the will, and I. <laughs> I was like, I thought it, I thought it was an empty threat, but it's not. <laughs> it's a potentially a full threat. <laughs> okay.